0: This week's episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 21st of July 2021 at home in Wicklow and in it I discuss gender fluid pets amongst other things. I also discuss understanding and knowledge as pillars of our world view as pillars of our world building and i speak about the about being unafraid of ignorance about being unafraid of what we don't know and of being unafraid of what we cannot answer so that is the general thrust Of this episode, and I also stumble over the word sanctity (laughs) because I think the word I was trying to find but wouldn't come to me at the time of recording was sanctuary. Not entirely unrelated, but not quite right either. So, there you go. Um, yeah, you're going to hear about some some confused animals and you're going to hear about university life for a a 17 year old me and philosophy and a philosophy lecturer and a question he posed many years ago and a couple of movie references which seem to be normal at this stage so buckle up and get ready to step into the unknown. Have fun. Talk to you soon. Ooh, not gonna change my mind. Leaving the dream behind. Hi, my name is Dara Clear, and you're listening to The Clear Out. It is hot, hot, hot. So hot by Irish standards, that I'm seeking the cool of the shade. I'm closing curtains. I'm clinging to the dark places. We are having a bit of a heat wave here in Ireland at the moment. Temperatures soaring to the high 20s, maybe even cracking 30. That's uh, that's Celsius, people, not Fahrenheit. Uh, But yeah that's um that's properly hot and even though i spent 10 years in melbourne melbourne uh in australia where summers could get up to mid 40s at their hottest um yeah it, 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 it's amazing that back here in ireland you know when the temperature starts creeping up how a degree of heat i found tolerable in Australia, I find I find very uncomfortable here. So there you go. Um, yeah, how are you doing wherever you are? How are you coping? If you're in Ireland, how are you coping with this little spell of hot weather, these cloudless skies, these airless days? You know, in this kind of heat, I often think of. I often think of American movies. They connect. They capture. They capture heat very well. Um, two movies come to mind. One very recent one. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Lin Manuel Miranda's In the Heights. That's the uh, composer, creator, writer of Hamilton, the smash Broadway musical of recent years, and one of his earlier. Plays one of his earlier musicals has just been brought to the silver screen. Does anybody say that anymore? We don't say the silver screen, do we? Do we? Do we? Do you? In the Heights, referring to Washington Heights, I believe. Um, a colorful, very colorful, vibrant movie focusing on uh, Latino or Latinx community. Um, nationalities, different nationalities from Central and South America. You know, the, that, that migrant population of that particular uh, that particular suburb neighbourhood of New York, which I guess is where uh, Miranda came from, Lin-Manuel Miranda came from. And he made quite a nice... Well, he didn't direct it. Chinese, a Chinese-American director, the guy who did Crazy Rich Asians, he's just directed that movie. Anyway, in that movie, there is a key phase of the movie that features you know a power outage in the summer in extreme heat and yeah american movies can capture that very well the other one that comes to mind is spike lee's uh explosive classic angry shout do the right thing which was 89 i believe i remember just been blown away by that at the time. And it's actually aged very well. I watched it again quite recently. But again, heat, heat plays such a role in the story of that movie. The, the, you know, slowly building, rising, bubbling racial tensions. And the heat just ultimately makes it all boil over in a, an explosive denouement at the end. Did you like that? Denouement. <laughs> Um yeah heat certainly it's not something we're that accustomed to here in little old Ireland I did take myself down to the river earlier today and plunged deep into that cool cool water and my god it felt good it was just delicious my daughter doesn't like it when I use a word like delicious to describe the water it it confuses her and it irritates her it bothers her you can't say that well I did this water is yummy and it was and the fish swimming in it they seemed to be enjoying it as well speckled trout and I think little baby rainbow trout as well they sort of hover they hover in the in the rapids as they attempt to swim upstream Uh, my daughter and I were there at the river yesterday as well trying to to catch a few of them we're were on the catch and release policy it's not it's not fishing to eat I mean she was catching minnows and putting them in her bucket and then releasing them so I'd shout up every now and again how many do you have? five I'd ask again a moment later how many do you have? none because she released them because she's a good girl ah fair play to you anyway there you go fish fish now, I am going to do an Elsa, <laughs> an Elsa, Frozen Elsa from Frozen, the Disney, the Disney and uh, the animated Disney movie, um, Elsa, and the snow. I'd, I'd quite like a bit of snow right now. It'd be very, very refreshing. But in Frozen Two, the sequel, the 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 song from that movie, the the little, the sort of signature tune from the sequel is into the unknown and that's where i'm going today into the unknown so bear with me bear with me we'll we'll see where we end up i'm not sure where all this is going but i have a few things rolling around my head as usual um so i'm going to start by giving out about my production team because a friend was commenting to me last week that i wouldn't have had those issues in last week's episode where I had to re-record the entire episode uh after I'd had some static or crackle on the the end product the first time I recorded it and he was like mate if you had a producer you know a producer would have jumped on that straight away and I was like listen man my production team consists of a cat two guinea pigs and three chickens and they're just uh very easily distracted. In fact, the chief engineer is lying behind me as I speak, gently snoring on the couch. That would be the cat. And she's just enjoying a little afternoon nap. That nap lasts about four or five hours. And she's just having a little little wheezy snore. So if she's the leader of the pack, being the most senior pet on the on the production team she's setting a terrible example for the others and yes the the guinea pigs we've shifted them from where they were because they were getting a bit too much sun and they were looking rather deflated and one of them is a (laughs) long-haired a long-haired guinea pig so he proceeded to look like like a mop like a mop that had been flattened to the floor so we've shifted them into you know the little the little utility room in hashtag blessed where uh it's cooler the sun doesn't really strike in there and as for the chickens well they do what they they do what they do um our chickens are interesting so we got them from a neighbor about two months ago i guess Maybe a little less than that. They're only about two months old anyway themselves, so maybe it's a little bit less. They are Polish, half-Polish bantam hens, I think. So they've got these little bobbly perm, permed heads, like little old grannies coming out of their blue rinse perm treatment. Two of them are white, and then there was a black one. And when they were a lot smaller, we had no idea what they were, I mean, in terms of gender. But the black one has emerged into a proud strutting cockerel who is waking us up at about half five every morning if I'm not already up. um, I am woken. We are woken by the cock-a-doodle-doo of this bold black rooster who we have been told by the woman who gave the chickens to us had a Mexican father. (laughs) So, I mean... Yeah, there's something, something changes in how uh, in how you look at, how you look at a chicken, how you look at a, a rooster when you're told it's half Mexican. I'm like, okay, it's, there's something else going on there, there's something else in the mix. And this rooster is black and it's got that little, uh, that, that, that red part that sits on top of the head. What's that? I, don't, I have no idea what that's called. I, I want to say something like rill or I don't know. Anyway, you know the bit I'm talking about um you know the kind of the kind of rubbery serrated looking bit and i guess that that can be on different positions on different birds i mean my friend nearby has a like a a petting farm and a a farm museum and a maze um great place great place the green and farm museum and maze well worth a visit if you're in the area but he has turkeys up there I guess they're American turkeys. They're massive. And they have those red bits kind of jangling off the side of their cheeks. They're pretty vile looking, actually. Um, and around into their throats. Like they've got this chronic and acute, aggressive gout. <laughs> or a goiter. Is that what it's called? For some reason, Ronald Reagan comes to mind. He used to be caricaturized that way, didn't he, on the, uh, the English... Um, the english caricature show with puppets spitting the image i just remembered something about his polyps <laughs> goiters and gout and polyps um, turkey neck anyway there you go look this rooster is crowing at the break of day um, my daughter is a bit confused by this this use of the word crow to describe the cockadoodle do of the rooster but crowing is what it is and that's what it's doing and I, if I'm not already up I get out of bed and I stride across the garden I'm going to confess I have done that on a trail a couple of times in the early early morning that is to say without a stitch on me just in my enthusiasm <laughs> to get to the to get to the hen house to release release the hens the chickens and there's only three of them as I've said but uh, yeah i'll tell you what happens they all they're all clamoring to be let out squawking and you know the the cockerel's been crowing his head off and i open that door and they quickly rush out but the cock does this funny thing where he rushes out and then stops dead still right beside me and does this dead still sort of flex this extravagant flex twist pose hold as if as if he's being told the cameras are waiting the paparazzi is here this is your moment you are going to become the next media sensation in the world of cockerel fetishists just come out here and strike your best pose and that's what he does that's what he has been doing without fail every morning bursts out of the hen house and just plonks himself right beside My feet, and does this very proud, erect-looking pose, staring, in or wherever wherever he's staring. There's no movement. It's just like, yeah, come on, come on, I'm ready. What you gonna do about it? And I'm like, I'm not gonna do anything. I'm gonna either go back to bed or go and put some clothes on. What the hell are you doing? And then he proceeds. Once I've left, he seems to. There seems to be about five minutes of chasing the other hens, the females, uh, who are just, yeah, they seem to be well able for them and well used to them. But um, but there you go. There you go. That's that's what's going on with those guys. So imagine getting them into the, uh, the production booth, into the recording suite, if you will. I'm not sure they'd be much use. Um, yeah. Now, I'm going to stick with the animals for a second, okay? And... I'm going to go back, way back, back into time. My family, that is to say, the family that I came out of, came from. The family that gave birth to me. We have a bit of a history of embracing a certain gender fluidity in our pets. So I can think going back to the mid-80s, we had a big, burly tomcat a ginger and white male cat who to use the australian term had a a big buff head so a big battered bruiser of a head and quite a nice quite a nice temperament as i recall but this tomcat this very obviously male tomcat was given the name us, of Genevieve (laughs) that's right Genevieve now I know around that time there was there was a nun who had a connection to us I think through my youngest brother who was born around that time and she was sister Genevieve I'm not sure I'm not sure if there was a it's not like my parents were involved in the church or anything. So maybe maybe it was like a, a medical connection, or she was something to do with the the local health service. I'm not sure. Anyway, Sister Genevieve, and apparently everyone you know, they, everyone all the adults seem to think very highly of her. She was very nice and an older nun um, or an older sister. Uh, I don't want to give you the wrong impression. And anyway, there's some connection there. I don't know if the cat came before the nun or the nun came before the cat. But the cat, the Tom, was called Genevieve and I don't know how that went down with the other the other cats in the area I mean at that time we'd moved from down kind of in the valley near the river and we'd moved up to the hills where things were a little bit more mountainous and a little bit more I don't know there were a few more hairy eyeballs around and you know there was a legacy of, of miners because there had been copper mines you know in the area you know back in the day and a lot of the men in that area seem to be squashed men. I'm not I'm not talking spiritually. I mean short, stocky, squashed men who looked like they'd just emerged from a gorse bush. Yeah, they are a hedgerow somewhere. And maybe the cats and the dogs in the area took on those qualities as well. So I'm not sure how well Genevieve the Tomcat got on with the rest of them. But he would have been well able to handle himself. Anyway, that's way back when. Now, chief engineer directly behind me, sleeping sleeping, her beautiful head off, is a long-haired calico cat, who, I mentioned in a previous episode, turned 19 a couple of months ago. And she is remarkable in that, for a cat of her years, she has remained in excellent condition. And her coat is always excellent immaculate uh, she takes great care of herself and you know we love her so we try to take care of her as well and I'm sure that's helped and this cat has travelled to Australia from Ireland, lived there for 10 years and come back and is doing well back here so that beautiful feline that vision of female loveliness in a cat she is called Marlon as in Marlon Brando. So there's a bit more gender fluidity. Now I know, I know, okay, come on, we all know. I'm not really getting into the gender fluid thing for real. I don't think Genevieve the Tom or Marlon the she cat have any crisis of gender identity or, well, I don't know, do I? Because I'm not a cat psychiatrist and yeah, I'm just not going to go there. I think what I'm trying to say is cats are hard to sex. It's hard to identify a cat's gender when they're little. But that's how Marlon got her name. So she's got the boy's name. And just to give you the final final whack. The cockerel about whom I was speaking just before. This strutting, macho, Mexican, half-Mexican wonder. Who amongst his black feathers has these green ones these very subtle shiny green ones back towards his tail feather and the sun catches him a certain way and you go oh that's a bit stylish that's a bit flash and of course that's, that's what a cockerel is I mean they are flash they're trying to attract the ladies aren't they anyway old macho man Mr, Mr. Cockhead his name is Edwina there you go. So <laughs> yet again, we were we're continuing this, this wonderful tradition. And perhaps I don't know, perhaps it all started. We had I mean I, I remember other pets we had as kids, um but they seemed more they seemed more normal. I mean there was a dog called Scooby, Not Scooby, Scooby, great dog. Um there was another dog called Ebony <laughs> Maybe Ebony is a funny name. And then there was a, a dog called Mustard. Now, I never thought it was strange until I was just thinking about it a few moments ago. But maybe that planted a seed. I mean, when I'd speak to my wife and daughter about potential new pets, and we often, you know, often talk about getting kittens. Once, uh, once Marlon has moved on to the, the kitty litter in the sky, uh, because Marlon wouldn't tolerate—we feel she wouldn't tolerate—the presence of another cat in the house. But we think when she goes eventually there'll be a couple of nice new kittens and I'm always offering names like why don't we call them parsley and pepper or broccoli and basil and my wife and daughters look at me like I'm an absolute lunatic but maybe having had a dog called mustard maybe that's where that started I don't know anyway pets now staying Staying in the, in the world of animals. But you know what I learned? I mean, I already knew, but I saw it firsthand last night. Bees are dangerous because one stung my wife in the face last night. In the face. Yes, that's what's happening here in Hashtag Blessed. There is a hive of bees that has recently been removed, but only only partially evidently there were a lot of bees up in this little hive in the eaves of a, a barn next door to us and we were outside last night having a bit of a al fresco dinner and next thing this bee was just buzzing around from that hive and came down it, was, it buzzed in my hair very frantically I swatted it away it buzzed in someone else's hair and then next thing it was going for my wife and she jumped up and she knew immediately she had been stung. And yes, a stinger was embedded in her cheek. A nasty business. Luckily, she has no allergies and the reaction apart from that a period, a couple of hours of pain in the face and a bit of a welt, she, she iced it straight away. Um but there was it was nothing there was nothing more serious than that. And really the, the at the end of the evening I mean at night time before she went to bed really what it looked like was that she had been branded with a hot iron just across her cheek a nasty business so there you go that's, um, that's what I know that's what I know bees, angry bees don't mess with them I mean we were just minding our own business but I guess their home has been disturbed, torn up ripped out, ripped asunder and they're not happy about it why would you be? why would you be the sanctity of home is one of the great comforts in life is it not when you can walk in through your own door and close it behind you and take a deep breath and sit down and go oh grand I'm back relax and of course when you don't have that luxury when your home isn't a sanctity a sanctity yeah isn't a safe space isn't a haven then that is profoundly upsetting disturbing traumatizing you need we all need a safe space and yeah that's that's a very very obvious thing to say I suppose Uh, the bees aren't happy and a a dog has joined us in our little community here Um, my cousin and his partner have moved in next door to hashtag blessed with their dog so we're getting to know their dog a lovely I want to say a lovely Irish water spaniel that's what it is that's exactly what it is and she is a bit of a nervous dog so we're getting used to her she's getting used to us but i'm very confident it's going to be a good a good relationship so there's a lot of energy around between the angry bees and the the macho the macho rooster the nervous dog the sleeping cat and the flattened guinea pigs and the stung wife and my daughter who lost a tooth last night at the dinner table the al fresco dinner table great excitement and she woke up this morning and she was very disappointed because the tooth fairy didn't come now what do you make of that the tooth fairy didn't come because my wife getting stung in the face blew the tooth fairy off the agenda so I had to explain to my daughter this morning that the tooth fairy didn't come because she was visiting a boy next door who broke his arm in two places because that's what tooth fairies do their remit includes Not only teeth, but broken bones. General body trouble. So the Tooth Fairy was going to pay us a visit, but went over to visit the boy next door to check on his broken arm. And hopefully the Tooth Fairy will pay a visit tonight. Yes. There you go. That's um, that's what's been going on here. That's what's been going on here. Good stuff. Now... I wanted to just take a thread from the idea of a safe place and knowing, knowing something, knowing that home is a good place to be, knowing that your own home is such an important part of your life and such an important part of your your wellness. And that's about all I'm going to say about that today. I really want to look into this idea of what do we know and what do we understand and i want to put this in a in a frame of anxiety i suppose and a frame of uncertainty and how how accepting what we don't know may offer us comfort the acceptance that is not the ignorance the acceptance of ignorance and that is yeah that's where i'm going to kind of wander around for the next little while i had a lecturer in university i, I studied philosophy and english literature uh in university um i went to university 30 years ago this year actually yeah 1991 i went to university i was a, I was a young guy and really not at all prepared for the academic challenges that lay ahead but coming from a sort of a hippie-ish background as I did my parents and various of their friends just said don't worry about it you know just go and have that experience have that university experience and you know embrace meeting you know people from all around the country and getting away from your home town your home community um, getting away from the parochial and going to meet that wonderful sort of that wonderful you know colorful mixture of vibrant young, intelligent, emerging adults that make up the the, the prevailing dynamic of of the university population and that's really what I did I went and I really took that advice to heart and so when I say I studied English literature and I studied philosophy it's probably fair to say that I sat in rooms where lectures in those subjects took place Um, I feel I was a truly appalling student Um, (laughs) oh that's a that's a shameful a shameful confession but there you go I made great friends I retained something of what I learned Uh, but it it really yeah it took me time it took me time it really took me the the three years of my 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 undergraduate degree to to realize I mean I didn't even really work it out until the very end it's like oh my goodness like you really do have to work hard to do well here and yet again that joins the uh, the long list of obvious statements from me but that was that was my um that was my slow awakening i immersed myself in so many other areas of university life and had a great time and it may surprise you to know that drink or drugs did not feature at all that was not where my interests lay um no alcohol was consumed i didn't drink at all didn't start having an alcoholic drink until my mid-20s and yeah to date (laughs) to date i have never taken a drug of any kind um sugar is a drug caffeine is a drug yeah that's true that is true i have taken those drugs but i haven't taken the other kind of drugs the sort of recreational ones um and again a bit informed by my 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 hippie background i suppose drugs were around growing up and were consumed in what i perceived as quite a controlled uh, social um moderate sort of way and attitudes were quite permissive uh tolerant accepting um but i just had no interest and that has kind of that has continued to to be the case I think now is the first time in my life, really, that I've gone. Oh, maybe, maybe I should try something just to see, just out of curiosity. Maybe I'd take or try a mind altering something or other. But I probably still wouldn't smoke. I've never smoked anything uh, that still doesn't appeal to me. In fact, speaking of smoking, not appealing. Uh, at the river today, I was there having a swim with my with my cousin. To women arrived not long after we were there with their dog and they had a little dip and they were obviously enjoying the hot weather and the cool river just like us and they were particularly tanned up and it was a, a mother and her adult daughter and they finished their little dip and sat down and out came the cigarettes <laughs> and I uh, <laughs> I just did uh, like an internal double take. I was like, "What? What the hell? <laughs> what's with this? What's with what's with the fags? What's with the cigarettes?" It just <laughs> it just shattered the little moment of you know of niceness down by the river, this um, this little haven of loveliness. And I just had yeah, I, I've such a <laughs> I had such an impulsive recoil. ...from the appearance of cigarettes. I know, it, it, it's, it's pathetic. I don't know what it makes me sound like. A psycho, a Puritan. Um, you know, I was, I was clutching my pearls. Oh my God! But anyway, there you go. Now listen, I wanted to get back to this idea... ...I was about to embark upon... ...until I rambled about university, university life. I had a lecturer, a philosophy lecturer... And he used to pose the question to those of us who were there, What do you stand under? Right, so what was his thing? I'm, I'm trying to even remember what his area was. It was like, it was the ancient Greek stuff, was it? And he also did logic, I want to say. I've got colleagues, I've got friends from that time, from those lectures, who'll prob- probably be able to correct me. But that was his sort of semi-cryptic question. What do you stand under? As in, what do you understand? And he was a sort of a a shriveled older man with a a visible growth on top of his head. And yeah, quite an oddity, a physical oddity to my 17-year-old eyes. And I recently well recently in the last couple of years i wrote a short story and i sort of used him as the the inspiration the physical inspiration for my my central character which was a a wizened old kind of politics um politics and history lecturer who um i'd have to go back and find that opening line i remember when my wife read it she was a bit appalled because i think i described him as a you know, the lecturer sat behind his lectern looking like a pained scrotum. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, guess. I that just seemed, that seemed to be the right way to go. Um, and it remained, it remained, it remains in the story. It seemed to fit. But anyway, that was his line. What do you stand under? What do you understand? Um, I still don't really know what he was trying to achieve by phrasing it that way. I take things very literally still, which suggests to me that I think like a child. The children's television personality, Fred Rogers, he based his whole children's entertainment philosophy around this idea of being extremely careful how you phrase things with children that they take things so literally that you have to choose your words extremely carefully not to disturb them. Um, Tom Hanks played him in that movie uh, from a couple of years ago. Again, one of those cases where you take a sacred cow and stick him in a movie and, you know, in in the receiving culture where that subject as a sacred cow it's almost impossible to be critical i felt that way about lincoln steven spielberg's uh steven spielberg's movie about abraham lincoln i mean that movie i haven't been able to bring myself to watch it a second time i i I mean daniel day lewis i i would watch i don't know I'd, i'd watch him um do anything pretty much i think he's fantastic he's, he's i think he's, he's one of my favorite actors and he was very good of course in that but spielberg's inability not to be astonishingly sentimental at times i can't abide it and i remember my memory of the opening of the movie is it was like it was a rainy rainy night, Lincoln was sort of taking shelter under some sort of covering and a a black Union soldier walks along Um, he's walking along in the rain and he sees Lincoln and stares up at him and realises who it is and then quotes back to him the Gettysburg Address and I just thought it was awful I just thought it was a I, I, I I really just found myself going, oh, no. And really, yeah, I was lost from that moment. I mean, that's the opening gambit. And I was like, no, thanks. I just thought, I I found it. I mean, maybe there's a historical record to say that kind of thing happened. I just thought, oh, man, really? It's just so heavy-handed, so unbelievably on the nose and... Oh yeah, I just thought ah oh, grotesque is what I thought really. I just thought oh, stop will you? Just stop. And the Fred Rogers movie from a couple of years ago or maybe it was only last year. The one with Tom Hanks doing a great version of Fred Rogers and I think Fred Rogers Fred Rogers is an interesting character. You know, he's well worth looking up and you'll find there's a doc, a documentary about him that's far more informative. Um but there's I don't know. I uh, I think also there's maybe a bit more to the story of Fred Rogers there's something there something behind the scenes that we didn't quite get into but again that movie was very well received because he's a sacred cow I'm not sure how well the movie works on its own and if you don't have the cultural the cultural reference to inform how you relate to it but anyway that came from me thinking like a child what do you stand under and I think I don't know do I stand under an elephant because an elephant is big and I could potentially stand under an elephant and look up at its undercarriage or a giraffe or a tree and I'm pretty sure my old philosophy lecturer wasn't thinking along those lines however that said the whole idea of looking at things from a different perspective is a great idea even looking up more often than you do just for a little change of perspective can be refreshing (laughs) i mean i've nothing more profound to say than that i mean it's, it's 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 an altered perspective but it does make you think how we don't do that how we really just see what we want to see we really just see what we need to see and we direct our eyes along very familiar lines so our sight lines it is almost like we're horses work horses with blinkers work horses pulling old farm machinery or dragging a carriage uh, That idea of only seeing what we need to see and taking ourselves from the point of departure to the point of arrival that that is necessary that is functional that is what we do but it is nice to just catch ourselves sometimes and go no look up look down look somewhere else for a change just try that change of perspective even even that old thing of lying on the floor and looking up at your ceiling or lying on a floor and looking back at a doorway and trying to see that doorway upside down so your ceiling becomes the floor and just playing that little game can be a nice little a nice little journey to go on maybe i should just be pitching this podcast to children okay kids now look at that Why is that door so high? Why is it so up from the floor? That's very strange, isn't it? And why is there nothing on the floor? There's a light! Okay. This idea of understanding. What do you understand? And what is the difference between understanding something and knowing something? I think we build our world, like individually speaking, like our, our our individual worlds. I think we build our worlds around those concepts of what we understand and what we know. And I'm just asking myself, as I as I sit here, I'm asking myself, you know, what 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 is the difference? I mean, knowledge knowledge is what knowing knowing mathematical calculations knowing what things are knowing the answer to certain questions and understanding understanding is a bit more intuitive instinctive i mean you can hear the question mark at the end of my answer there um but I did say I wanted to frame these questions in a context of anxiety and and uncertainty and unknowability because I think there is there is a relationship and if we can look at these things and accept I don't know accept the accept the limitations of our knowledge and accept the limitations of our understanding but build a comfort with what we do know and develop a comfort with what we feel we do understand. I think that is a valid pathway to a greater sense of calm, of inner calm, uh, of of inner tranquility i suppose i mean tranquility maybe that maybe that's too extreme and too extreme a word like maybe that pushes us into some sort of sense of you know of blissfulness which is not what i'm driving at i don't really believe in that idea i think bliss can be a temporary sensory experience but as a permanent state i find it kind of ludicrous um you know if maybe that's that's something that people chase Uh, and of course you do have that phrase that's become popular to follow your bliss uh, which is another way of saying do what you want to do which is not unreasonable and i think that's where i come back to you know a lot is what's reasonable (laughs) what's what's reasonable what's a what's a reasonable expectation what's a reasonable set of parameters through which to view human existence what's a What's a reasonable set of expectations to to put on the people I know and love? What's a reasonable set of expectations for myself? Reasonableness. Is that how I'm going to be remembered? Here lies Dara Clare. He was very reasonable. <laughs> oh, good luck. Anyway. I find in myself... I'm very, very accepting of the depths of my ignorance. And I have an impulse to laugh at that. I have an impulse to take the piss out of myself. But I'm very serious when I say that. I have almost zero anxiety about what I don't know. Now... I don't know if that makes me sound like I'm pathologically unimaginative, uncurious, uninterested, but I recognize that as something that is very true for me. And I'm very comfortable in that place. And that would certainly speak to a lifelong lack of interest in traveling. (laughs) So, i mean if you i think you can make the connection quickly i mean if i'm fundamentally uninterested uh in what i don't know i don't have this yearning to go places to find out oh let's go to morocco i'm like yeah <laughs> yeah sure i mean you could i suppose um i mean i i would like to go to somewhere like uh north north the north american continent i don't mean the usa i mean canada i mean and i've been to canada but i'm picturing those northern american landscapes the the mountains the lakes the forests that kind of terrain which um which does which exists here in ireland uh but i guess in a more extreme way um in that part of the world uh i i have fantasies of of spending christmas in the far north of scandinavia perhaps in the hope of meeting father christmas santa santo um but just to be in an extremely cold snowy beautiful place tucked up tight in a nice log cabin maybe i don't know that appeals to me enormously but i seem to recoil from busy sunny overpopulated holiday destinations and i know you're all saying well you know there's there's other choices not all holidays have to take you to those places um yeah but there you go i mean i, I can feel my my thoughts just going. Eh, i'm just even talking about this i'm, I'm, I'm getting bored <laughs> how much you be feeling <laughs> um but look this idea of i don't know the idea of anxiety being connected to what we don't know like the idea of anxiety being connected to unknown futures and unknown consequences unknown outcomes i don't live in that place i feel untroubled by that and that isn't ideal that isn't ideal when you're in your late 40s and you're married and you have a daughter and there should be a justifiable level of anxiety about the future, about future economic stability, long-term economic stability that would take care of or provide for uh, our, our single child. And I do recognise that that is a very legitimate concern and my wife would be more wired to feeling those fears or anxieties and it's not that I am blasé about them but I do sort of look at well what's what's solvable in the now and maybe this will come back to bite me in the ass in the future and it's certainly something that is a has to be an ongoing negotiation in in our relationship, in, in my relationship, but you know, it it is. I feel that that is it's connected to this theme, this theme of you know what are we what are we doing, Um this theme of not knowing, not having all the answers, um, and I mean, really, I suppose when I when I started this conversation or, or you know this this podcast and this idea this theme, I was sort of thinking about the the other kind of big questions the other big unknowns the and you know the most famous one of all or you know the one that's fa- the famous question the question that has been asked for you know thousands of years i suppose the the why are we here question i just i mean again my eyes glaze over um how the hell do i know what the you know what the the, the the why are we here of humanity i just don't think about that at all uh i may have at one point i look at the fact of being here i go well i don't know why but i know i am here and then it's a matter of well what are you going to do with your time what are you going to do while you're here i find that a much more concerning question and i don't i don't dwell on the afterlife I don't dwell on the greater cosmic significance of planet Earth, of human existence. The why question—I'm—I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure why that does that holds no no interest for me at all. Again, it's showing maybe a a shortfall of imagination, like a like a poverty of curiosity, because <laughs> of course you know how many people have really gone to create worlds built around this concept you know f- fictional works movies novels academic works ontologies of human existence um if not god whom you know you know who do we hold responsible um for this for us i have a great a great friend of mine a french guy and I remember years ago we 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 were doing karate together and I used to get a lift home with him after karate and we were talking in the car one night and at the time I was pursuing my acting career and he was I think at that stage I don't know if he was doing his doctorate in chemistry or his his master's but you know very smart capable guy and you know we were having one of those chats about life and what you're doing and all the rest and we were just paused at the traffic lights, and he said to me, Uh, what you do? Uh, you act, you act because you love it, and I do chemistry because why not? And I just thought, yeah, okay, that's um, that sums it up rather, <laughs> rather, rather beautifully. His, his evident. Lack of investment <laughs> in what he was doing. His very classically French shrug and palpable ennui and disenchantment. <laughs> his jaded, barely concealed disgust <laughs> for his own choice. And his own, um, his, uh, you know, at that point, his own inability to have answered the question of what he wanted I mean it struck me as absolutely hilarious at the time and I'm, I'm amused thinking back on it now. Uh, and I know he he is he is a guy. He's a, he's a great friend and he he would be wired for anxiety as well. Um and so I I, I don't know what I conclude from that. I think there is enormous comfort in being, being happy <laughs> being happy with being happy with being an ignorant little clam uh, on, the, on the ocean floor on the seabed my, um, I'm just living in my oyster shell kind of going yeah <laughs> everything's, everything's great, everything's lovely um, and look I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious about it but in fact I think there is, I do believe there's real value in focusing on what what falls within a manageable a manageable sphere of influence in terms of your own agency in terms of your own life to and, and it's, it, I don't know it, I have to be careful because I feel like this can be open to misinterpretation like a, i I often feel like i'm a great advocate of mediocrity and I, you know i try to counter that it's not mediocrity it's it's more and i, I mean the, the word that's coming in my head is humility and i'm not sure if that's entirely accurate but there's something about simplifying your wants and simplifying your your needs that I think is enormously empowering so I don't know wasn't it Sinead O'Connor who was it her second or third album the one that had Nothing Compares to You on it uh, I Do Not Want What I Have Not Got I might have misremembered that title but that's how it sits in my head you know whatever from 1990 or 89 whenever it was and I really feel that that is my my core wiring like once i have a few essentials in place i don't have this mad yearning for other things and that is in a material sense that is arguably in a career sense i mean i can you know i can be honest i can put my hand up and go well look you know acting feels like Something that is still that still kind of lies within me—the sort of the desire to act, the desire to be performing, the desire to be in that work—and I mean that's where the real enjoyment is. It's it's going on that journey, you know, with a with a, a script, a play, a character with other actors, with other professionals, um, and not just actors, but you know, directors or the you know the other kind of creatives on board. Um, and being part of that whole kind of process that the there's something I mean in terms of theatre work anyway like there's something about, like, like the collaborative aspect of that work that is endlessly kind of stimulating and in, enjoyable and thrilling in, in a level kind of bringing bringing something to life um, but you know I, I could say that's one that I kind of go oh yeah I'd still I'd still have a good crack at a a real crack at a, a at a an improved acting career um i mean it's a it's a dormant <laughs> it's a dormant acting career it's a uh, it's a vampire that hasn't been roused from its coffin it's just lying there in the dark <laughs> doing nothing um but i kind of i i kind of park that in a certain place i park that in a certain place and go eh. I made certain choices and I I try to be very accepting of choices I've made and I try to be very forgiving if those choices haven't worked out and if that is an area of understanding that I have then I I I put a lot of I put a lot of I put a lot of faith in that so we can, we can argue about free will, we can argue about true agency and you know, that's, that is that is an area of neuroscience, of brain function and of, I suppose of existential like living, practical philosophy that I'm not that well versed in, but again going back to what i said earlier i'm also be like eh, i don't really care i yeah i, I mean i really i, I mean I'm, i think i'm painting an extraordinarily poor uh, poor picture of myself here um like i'm just blissfully ignorant it's not it's not like willful ignorance like i mean i, I my brain drifts over to those areas and i go eh, okay i think i've got the basic gist or the basic grasp and fine my my curiosity has been satisfied and i just come back to -to day-to-day living and i sort of use these underlying principles as my guide and then that becomes my area of understanding and my area of knowledge so what i know is i know what i like i know what helps me stay well I know what makes me a better, um, a better husband, a better father, a better friend, um, a better, you know, I suppose a better son, brother, whatever. Um, and when I say that, I can really only speak for myself. I mean, I know my own perception of myself, how I am received, is not really something I can control. So I make my decisions based on my own instincts, based on previous experience, based on what I know of the people I'm engaging with and I behave accordingly and I try to keep a level of mindfulness and a level of self-criticism, I suppose, to keep me, keep me on my toes, to keep me sharp. And I know... That, that, that is what works best for me, a certain level of thoughtfulness, a certain level of consideration, a certain level of conscientiousness that is sometimes inwardly directed. It's sometimes directed, up. you know, it's sometimes the, it's, 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 a, it's a laser scan of myself and often it's directed outwards um, and kind of striking that balance without being neurotic, which I don't I don't think I am. Um but keeping it bubbling over, keeping it there, it's it's part of it's part of trying to you know do well on a on a daily basis. And for me that doesn't come at a great cost. It's not something I agonise over. Agonizing comes more with real points of conflict, agonizing comes over moments of extreme anxiety or moments of periods of depression perhaps Um, but again I try to use I try to use what I've learned I try to use those instincts and I try to apply them even in those moments and go well okay um, I'm going to use what I know and I'm going to use a, a deepened understanding of this experience to help me cope with it better and that has proven to be an effective strategy over time um yeah so so there you are there you are i didn't know where i was going and i'm not sure where i've been but i know where i am now and where i am now is at the end of the podcast and isn't that An amazing way to spend an hour listening to me unpack my brain and talk about oddly named animals. Yes, so I know, I know this has been fun for me, but if it hasn't been for you, I understand. So why don't we just leave it there, okay? I think that's a good place to end this one and if I have any further thoughts I will be sure I will be sure to share them in the future because I know I like to share and if you don't want what I want to share I understand okay I've doubled down on that one listen thank you very much for spending some time with me thank you for lending me those ears of yours and remember you can if you want you can support this podcast this show you can support it by using the supporter link which you can find where you're listening to the podcast and you can also support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash the clear out and you can use patreon to make an ongoing contribution of your choosing and all of that just helps it helps kind of keep the show on the road it helps keep this going you can read me at theclearout.com and you can listen to this podcast wherever you do wherever you do listen to these podcasts and please do spread the word if you're enjoying them i'd love to grow my my modest audience a few dedicated family members a couple of friends and my production team the other two hens incidentally are called bobo and charlotte so there's a shout out shout out to the uh the white half polish chickens who get chased around by a randy mexican okay keep it real keep it safe take the blinkers off every now and again yeah look up look down look all around it's not going to cost you anything is it okay thanks for listening Take care. Mind yourself. Bye bye.